You're listening to the Matt Lupu Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lupu. I'm excited and a little bit nervous to start a podcast. There's not an instruction manual for how to write, record, and edit one of these things. I want to make it very clear to anyone who might come across this recording that I decided to do this only after a lot of people in my life told me, you should start a podcast. Somehow it feels less cringy if I preface this whole thing by telling you all that I was put up to this. My educational and professional background is not what you would call normal. It has led me on a series of stranger and stranger adventures that, I think anyways, have given me a unique perspective on life. Maybe we should just start at the beginning, and you can see what I mean. My undergraduate degree is in neuroscience. I was a pre-med student for all four years of college. The experience was intellectually engaging, and all of the science that I learned in those four years have come in handy more times than I can count. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I never really connected with the sciences. Or rather, I should say, I never had a true passion for science, or for math. I sort of struggled through the courses in a state of constant anxiety and depression because I wanted a high-paying job, and because I'm pathologically competitive. Those two character flaws were present in just the right combination to keep me going while simultaneously making me miserable because of my constantly mediocre performance. As graduation loomed, I knew that I would be dooming myself to a lifetime of unhappiness if I continued on to medical school. So instead of medicine, I did what any soulless, ignorant young adult would do. I looked for the highest paying job that I could find with my credentials. That led me to pursue dentistry. I made the decision 100% based on the average salary of general dentists as compared to other graduate programs in the health sciences. Well, not 100%. I was also very keen on the idea of my job being 9 to 5, and I wanted nights and weekends off too. If I'm being completely honest, I used to say that what I really wanted to do was to work in a factory making widgets but I wanted each widget to pay me a couple hundred dollars. If only I knew what I was wishing for. My tenure in dental school was not a happy one. I think I was looking at it the same way that Japanese students view their college experience. You see, in Japan, high school is ultra-competitive, as students jockey for slots in the highest-ranked universities possible. But once they get to university, the demands are much less, and the pressure is somewhat relieved. I think I saw dental school as the reward for missing out on normal college and high school life. Of course, that is not at all how graduate school and health sciences work. As a result, I was an abysmal dental student. I didn't care about anything that I was doing. And in fact, I started to panic more and more about the idea of having to drill on teeth for the rest of my life. I'll never forget when I came to the horrible realization that dentistry along with all the other decisions I had made up to that point, were like a long series of giant mistakes. I was in a class called Oral Biology 2. 
The professor was talking about the genetics that control craniofacial development in zebrafish. I had no idea what she was talking about. And I couldn't imagine having to listen to the lecture for another second, let alone study the material. That was when I started to wonder if this was normal. It certainly didn't feel normal. It was around that time that I was talking to a friend of mine in my dental school class. He was a history major in college, and I seethed with jealousy. I would have much preferred doing something like that. We were talking about how weird the country of Romania is. They speak Romanian there, which is a Romance language like Spanish or Italian, despite the fact that the country is far from Italy and otherwise surrounded by countries that speak Slavic languages. I never understood why that was. My friend told me that I should try reading a book he heard about in college. It was called The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon. I had never heard of this book before, and since I had a long commute every day, I figured it would be nice to have something to do on the bus ride to school every morning. So I went to Barnes & Noble and bought myself a copy. The book was almost unreadable from the very first page. As it turned out, the first volume of this book was published in 1776, and this Edward Gibbon character wrote in that archaic English you get in the Declaration of Independence. I don't know what made me keep reading it. By all rights, I should have put it down and concentrated on dental school. But for some reason I still don't understand, I kept at it. I would make lists of words that Gibbon used that I didn't understand and look them up at the end of the day. Words like percocet and licentious and expatiate. After a while, you get the hang of an author like Gibbon. And as I got the hang of him, he got easier to read. I found myself totally shocked on a daily basis by what he had to say about the Roman Empire. There were massive civil wars and convulsions inside the Roman world that I had never heard of. There were emperors who shaped the politics and style of the Middle Ages, whose names I had never read. These were not little things, mind you. But it turned out that entire centuries of history that directly explain why the modern world looks like it does were totally hidden from my view. It was almost like I somehow had never heard of the American Civil War. Then I found out about it one day, and then said, Oh, is that why there are different accents in New England and the South? For anyone that hasn't read Gibbon, it's not a self-contained work. It's actually six volumes, and it will take you a very long time to finish reading. I walked around with my abridged copy of Gibbon under my arm for about a year before I finally got to the end. And during that time, I developed a kind of schedule. I would read during the day, sometimes even in class, since I certainly couldn't be bothered with oral bio, and then I would go home and read Wikipedia to check and see if this information was correct. The more I read, the more I researched. The more I researched, the more time would disappear into this weird new hobby of mine. One night that I remember vividly, I sat at my desk fantasizing about how cool it would be if I could read and research like this, but get paid for it. I remember wondering if it would be possible to go to Europe and dig up anything that confirmed Gibbon's stories. Then I remember thinking that it was too bad that archaeologists weren't really real. When I think about how much time I spent on Gibbon, 
It really is a miracle that I was able to graduate from dental school. I certainly cut it close. When graduation came, I didn't even go to the ceremony. Instead, I was already working on my escape plan. For a few years, I kept it a secret from everyone, because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I made such a terrible mistake by going to dental school in the first place, but I was doubly embarrassed by my new plan. I would work until I got out of debt, and then I would apply to graduate school to study Roman history or archaeology, whichever one would take me. Those first few years after graduating dental school were, in their own way, the most difficult. I had to get licensed, find a job, and somehow also study Latin. I settled on Latin because I wanted to read the authors that Gibbon was talking about in their original language, and I figured that Latin knowledge would be a minimal requirement for admission into any graduate program. At first I looked into taking a class in a community college, either before or after work, but the only offerings were in the middle of the day. It seemed like my plan was dead in the water. But then I thought about the Latin that I took as a middle schooler. Since then I had learned Spanish, and while it wasn't easy, it did have some overlap with what little Latin I could remember. I waited until I landed my first job working in a Medicaid clinic in South Florida before I bought my copy of the Cambridge Latin course. I knew that the clinic I worked for needed me more than I needed them, so I took the calculated risk of studying Latin at work in between seeing patients. It took me about four months to go through the entire Cambridge Latin course. When I finished it, I tried to read Julius Caesar's De Bello Gallico, but I couldn't get much beyond the first sentence. That's when I went into a total panic and decided to start Latin all over again from the beginning, this time with Wheelock's Latin. That one took me a full six months to get through. By my third year working in the Medicaid clinic, I was nearly out of debt. I had an intermediate command of Latin, and I began to study ancient Greek in much the same way. It was now time to give archaeology a try. Just thinking about showing up to a field school in Italy was nauseating to me. I'd be older than everyone, I wouldn't be enrolled in school like everybody else was, and I'd be utterly out of place. The idea of it was so uncomfortable that I very nearly didn't do it. I sent out emails to a few contacts that I found on the internet, but one project in particular impressed me. It was called the Gobby Project, run by the University of Michigan. The program was five weeks in the summer, but I could only secure three weeks off from work. They were going to charge me full price, and I could leave whenever I wanted. At that particular moment in my life, money was no object, and I didn't think twice about dropping several thousand dollars on this flight of fancy. Any doubt I had about this new direction evaporated my first day in the field. I never felt more at home than I did learning archaeological theory in the dirt. By the second week of the project, I remember the kids all talking about what they missed about home and thinking to myself, I don't miss anything. These were thoughts and emotions which were totally foreign and very surprising to me. It was then that I realized, I think I can do this for the rest of my life. With archaeological experience in hand, I made my applications to a few master's programs. I was selective. Having just paid off a six-figure debt, I was very wary of going right back into the hole. That was why I only applied to competitive programs that were fully funded. 
I wanted to get paid to study what I loved. I reviewed my application and didn't like my chances at all. I had no coursework directly related to the field other than a few anthropology classes that I took at night, and I only took those so that I could find letters of recommendation to complete my application. If ever there was a time for an in-person visit, it was now. My first choice of school was Florida State University. If I went there, I wouldn't have any issues with my dental license, and if I played my cards just right, I might be able to keep making money on the side for a few hours a week. I made up a story about being in town anyways and dropped by the department. I'll never forget walking onto the campus. It looked like something out of a movie about college. I walked into the classics department building through the carved wooden double doors and met with one of the admissions officers that I had been in contact with. I emptied my backpack onto his desk, much to his chagrin, showing him the results of my self-study my Wheelock, and about 50 handwritten pages of exercises and notes, my Cambridge Latin series, my Hanson and Quinn Greek text, complete with its own stack of handwritten notes, and lastly, my copies of Caesar and Suetonius, and the handwritten translations that I had been working on at the time. He looked at the pile on his desk, and he said, This is a very high level of autodidacticism. I silently nodded, having no idea what that word meant before my mind turned to Greek. Auto means self, and didasko means to teach. He must mean that I'm self-taught. We chatted for a while. He gave me a tour of the department offices and library, and with that, I was on my way back home. I didn't hear anything from Florida State until that summer. Not knowing my fate, I decided to go back to Gabi for another round of archaeology, but not before quitting my job. No matter what happened, I would never go back to full-time dentistry. Just before I left for Rome, FSU told me that while they couldn't offer me an acceptance, they would put me on their wait list. I thanked them for the consideration and continued making my plans. It wasn't until I was in Rome when I got the next email telling me that Florida State pulled me off the wait list and admitted me to their master's program in archaeology, albeit without funding. I made it. Sort of. I didn't want to reject the offer, but I recoiled at the thought of going into debt for another educational program. Ultimately, I decided to stay, if only to see where all this might lead. The first hurdle of my new academic career would be the diagnostic exam. You see, when you start a program that relies on your knowledge of Greek and Latin, Most departments give incoming students a diagnostic exam to see where their skills are. You're expected to translate the ancient language at sight without the help of a dictionary. I sat there furiously translating, all the while feeling very inadequate. The week after taking the diagnostic, the department offered me the same funding that they offered all the other students. Now I had truly made it. I would go on to complete my master's in archaeology, followed by a second one in Greek and Latin at FSU. Today, I'm a PhD student working on Roman history. I still practice dentistry, albeit very part-time. My journey into the classics has given me a unique window onto the ancient world. It has allowed me to travel widely and see and experience things that most don't get to. My goal now is to pay it forward 
That's where this podcast comes in. I want to be your guide as we explore the ancient world together. I hope to demonstrate to you how ancient history, culture, religion, and art still affects all of us every day. But maybe most importantly, I want to convince you that this stuff is cool. Anyways, I'm Matt Lupu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>